You know, I heard something this week, and I read it again, and I don't, don't think it was an accident, and it kind of directed me as to where I wanted to go this week, and when I spoke about the cross, we're re- really going through the, New, the Old Testament, and we're in the New Testament, and we're talking about Jesus and his ministry, and we've reached his ministry on the cross. Next week, we're going to talk about his resurrection. But I heard this phrase, and maybe you've heard it too, uh, why would you believe in a God that would murder his son? And that bothered me a lot. And I thought, so how do you get to a place where you... And, and my, my thought as I was thinking about it is you just don't understand the cross. You don't understand the purpose of what Jesus was doing there and what was all involved. So I'm assuming that there are people that you know, maybe you're here and that's a question you've had. Why, do I, why would I believe in a God who would murder his son? And... You may have friends or neighbors or fam- family members that they've, they pose that question to you and you try to explain it to them and you just really haven't gotten anywhere. I want to address that this morning because I think it's a legitimate question that people have who don't understand the meaning of the cross. So we're going to look at a passage from uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We're going to kind of just talk a little bit about it and draw some implications from it. And I think hopefully through that, I'll try to answer that question, but maybe answer a lot of other questions along the way. So I want to start reading at Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 26. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. What you need to understand in that day, the cross wasn't the, the full... You know, like what we see the cross today. It was just the center beam. And that's what they were strapped to and what they carried through town. The the burden became so much because Jesus had been beaten up and brutalized so much. And he was so weak that he couldn't even carry that beam. And it was quite heavy. So they enlisted Simon to assist him in carrying that. And it said, go on in the story. It says two uh, two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of of, of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Uh, A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, what we want to do is look at the cross from three different perspectives, three different views today. The first view is from beneath the cross looking up. And that's where a lot of the people were that day, the soldiers uh, other people. Then we want to look from the cross as Jesus was hanging from the cross. And then we want to look from the third perspective 
above the cross as the Father from heaven looked down on the cross. So those are the three perspectives we want to look at. But let's begin with beneath the cross. Because beneath the cross in that day and still today, there's a tremendous amount of confusion about the meaning of the cross and what was taking place. There were a number of people who were beneath the cross who loved Jesus. His mother, John, in in the Gospel of John, we see the interaction between Jesus and his mother and and John and uh, telling John to take care of his mother. And there were other women there and other people there that were followers of Jesus. Now, we know that many of the disciples, the other disciples all fled. They were not there. They, they just took off. And so they weren't present. But there were those there that loved him. And when they saw Jesus hanging on the cross, they were under, they were saying, we didn't never expect this. We didn't, we, we thought that uh, this, why is this happening? And they had, they had questions. They had concerns. They, they were sad. They didn't, it didn't make sense to them. And, um, they, they all knew he didn't deserve to die. And their dreams, as they had made them, were now vanishing. Then there were those beneath the cross who tormented him. Where there was the mob, the religious leaders, and the soldiers. And uh, they thought Jesus was either a troublemaker or he was an insurrectionist or a threat uh, that needed to be stopped. But he deserved to die. For one of those reasons, if not all of them, he deserved to die. Now, the Bible clearly tells us, and Jesus clearly informed people why he came and what his purpose was. In fact, when you read the Gospel of Mark, it's very clear in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is on mission. He has a mission. He came for a purpose, and he says that. In fact, that's really the most, probably one of the most important verses in the whole uh, book of Mark. And Jesus said that in Mark 10, verse 45. And Jesus uses a phrase, son of man, that he loves to use and refers to him. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus understood that he was going to pay the price. He was going to pay a ransom fee and he was going to give his life for others. Now, again, the question is, if God is really a loving God, why can't, why doesn't he just forgive everybody? I mean, can't, he's God after all. Can't he do everything? Can he, can he just forgive? Uh, why did Jesus have to go through suffering and death? Why does he have to be a ransom? Uh, why can't, in other words, the, the question is, why can't God be loving and not, and, and spare his son? Why does he have to still sacrifice his son? And I think there's two good reasons why that's true. And hopefully these will help as you either struggle with this or you know someone it does. The first one is, is because there's a debt that must be paid by someone. Now, think about this for a moment. If you were to, if you were to say, uh, let's say you took your phone and somebody said, can I borrow your phone? And you, you gave them your phone and they immediately took it and they were careless with it and they dropped it or they, they tossed it or they did something, they, they totally destroyed your phone. You have two choices here. You either say, hey, listen, <laughs> you owe me a phone here. You broke my phone. You got to fix this. You got to make this right, right? That's one of the choices that you have. The other choice is that you say, hey, you know what? I think it was an accident. I'll let it go. I'll take care of it. But here's the point. You got a broken phone. Somebody's got to fix it. Somebody's got to eat the cost. Somebody's going to have to suffer to make that right. It's either the person that broke it or the person whose phone was broken. Now, that's easy when we're talking about things like phones. 
But what if we're talking about reputations? What if somebody has destroyed your reputation? What if they've gossiped behind your back? What if they publicly humiliated you? Now what do you do? Do you say, okay, you need to make, get my reputation back. Listen, you understand this. When something like that, you'll never get your reputation back. It's ruined, and people are always going to remember whatever it was. Whether it was true or not, they're going to remember it. Your reputation is ruined. So you have two choices. Again, you either say, I'm going to ruin your reputation. I'm going to destroy you. Now, you'd say, some of you are going, yeah, that's right. <laughs> they destroy my reputation. I'll destroy it. You think you got a reputation. You're going to have nothing when I get done with you. But you know what? Here's the point. If you take that line, what have you done? You've just taken on the evil that was done to you. You, you have, haven't you? So what do you do at that point? There's only one thing you can do. You'll never get your reputation back. You basically have to move on and say, you know what? I forgive you. I'm going to move on. And you don't necessarily forgive the person to say, well, we're going to make be buddies, but I just have to move past this thing. I have to move on. And so, see, it's easy when you're talking about little things like phones. Those are easy to... But when you talk about things that are intangible, you can't really measure them. You can't really get them back. There's going to be pain there. If somebody wrecks your reputation, there's pain there. And you're never going to get that back. You're always going to struggle with that. And there's nothing you can do to fix that, really. There's suffering there. So you really have only two choices when somebody does something. You either, you either forgive them or you, or you have to somehow get it back. And, and like I said, some things you just never will get back. Here's the point. God says this, the only way that I can forgive the sins, the transgressions of human, the human race is to suffer. Either they will pay the penalty for their sin or I will. And here's the point, we can't. There's no, just as, just as we can't get our reputation back, we can't pay for our sin we can't get it. We can't do it. So the point is, somebody has to pay the price. Somebody must suffer the consequences. And God basically has set up a plan where Jesus on the cross absorbed our debt on the cross. He suffered for us. We are the transgressors. Transgressors. He is the only one who can pay our debt, and he suffered for it. See, that's the point. When there's a debt, somebody's going to have to suffer to pay that debt. And that's what Jesus did. So that's the first reason. The first reason is God can't just forgive it and, and forget it because ultimately there's a debt that needs to be paid and there's suffering that's going to have to take place. It just, it's true in your life. When somebody wrecks your reputation, you can say, well, just forget it. You can't forget it. It's there. Something has to be done. But here's the second thing. The reason that Jesus went to the cross is because God loves us so deeply. Now, here's what I've found, and maybe you found it too. Loving people get angry. When we love people and we care about people, we get angry. We don't get angry because we don't love. We get angry because we do love. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is the more deeply you love a person, the more, the angrier you get when they destroy their lives. The... Have you noticed that when you see people who you love who are either being abused or they're abusing themselves, it makes you angry, it upsets you, it, it discourages you, and you get angry. 
If you see people you love abusing themselves, you get angry with them. The Bible tells us that God loves everything he made. In fact, in, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, when God got done in certain stages of his creation, he says, and God saw all that he had made, and it was good. And, and at the end, he says, and God saw all that he made, and it was very, very good. So when God sees his creation abused or his creatures abused, he gets angry, he gets upset. And so that's part of the creation. And, and, and the Bible says there, that one of the reasons that God is angry is he sees what's going on in his creation. And anyone or anything that is destroying the people of God, the world that he loves, it makes him angry. And he's not angry because he doesn't care. He's angry because he does care. So the point I want you to see here is this. A God who loves is compelled to do something. When you love somebody and they're destroying their life, you've got to do something. When you love somebody and uh, they're being abused by someone else, you've got to step in. You're compelled to step in. You can't just say, oh, well, let's just let it go. You, you have to do something. And Jesus is not only forgives our debt, but he pays our debt by going to the cross, by paying the ransom, by suffering immense torment. So you could say, well, isn't God God? Well, yes, God is God, but God cares too much. And, and, and sin, the penalty of sin, there is something that has to be absorbed by somebody. There is suffering. Somebody has to suffer. Somebody has to love enough and somebody has to suffer enough. And Jesus chose to do both of those. So that's above the cross or beneath the cross. From the cross... Now, from the cross, which, which is so amazing to me, is, and by the way, when you um, read through the gospel accounts where Jesus is being crucified, it's not real bloody. Yeah, I know. You probably watched the Mel Gibson movie, and it was blood all over the place. You know, he's getting whipped, and there's blood flying here, and he's getting, and he, it, you know, and I understand it, and it was. But when you read the gospel accounts, it's almost matter of fact. I mean, look at the account we just read, and they nailed him to the cross. Really? Yeah, how would that be, you know? And, and it was just a matter of fact. But what I find is this is one of the most barbaric ways that ever was created by man to, to, to torture and to execute a person. One of the most barbaric ways ever to do it. And what do we see? Jesus showing compassion to the people around you. Have you ever been in an inc intense pain? I remember uh, a couple of times having like the wind knocked out of me or being really hurt and laying down. And people are saying, are you okay? Are you okay? And I can't talk. And I, I'm just thinking in my head, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk right now, you know. And, and yet, the last thing I want to do is, is, is describe what's going on. I, I'm in pain here. And Jesus is hanging from the cross. And what does he do? He shows compassion. First, he shows compassion with his tormentors. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know, he could have freed himself. He could have destroyed his tormentors. He could have, he, he, but yet he restrained himself. He was tempted. In fact, if you go past, go to the passage, the, if you go back to the passage I read, three times by three different groups, he is challenged to stop what he's doing, to come down off the cross and to save himself. Notice from the religious leaders, he says this. They said this. He saved himself, they said, but let him save himself. Uh, he saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is the Messiah. In other words, you're not really the Messiah because if you're really the Messiah, you come down off that cross. Or, and notice he says this. Uh, the soldier said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
And then one of the criminals said that was crucified next to him. So you're the Messiah. You prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. So three times he is challenged to come down off the cross. And and they, they were saying something that many of you might have said or people that you know. You work with people you care about say, and you've heard them say this. They say this. Jesus, if you'll just fill in the blank, do this, then I'll believe in you. Isn't that what they were saying? They were saying, Jesus, you know what? And Jesus says, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what's taking place. They don't understand my plan. They don't understand why I'm hanging here. They're part of the plan, but they don't understand what part they play. And Jesus says to them, or they say to Jesus, Jesus, you truly are the Son of God. Come down. Have you ever done this? Have you ever said, God, I'll believe in you. Jesus, I'll believe in you if you'll just do this. Now, most of the time we're asking for good things. We're saying, if you'll heal my mom, if you'll heal my marriage, if you'll just get me this job, if you'll do this for me, and then I'll believe in you. If you just do this thing for me, then I'll believe. After that, I'll believe. Have you ever done that? I think a lot of people do that, and a lot of people have. And here's the other part of it. When mom isn't healed, when the marriage isn't healed and it breaks up, when we go through times where we've been pleading and asking for a job and going and we don't get it, we say, okay, God, I guess you're not real. I give up on you. In other words, we give God an ultimatum. And it's not that we're necessarily asking for bad things, but we get, when we ask Jesus or we ask God, we hear nothing but silence. We don't get the answer we want, and we choose at that point to reject it. But we have to ask a question is, why didn't Jesus come down from the cross? And why didn't he answer? And why didn't he theologically give them, oh, by the way, let me tell you why I'm here. He didn't. He just went through with the plan. And the answer is, he was purchasing our pardon in the only way possible, his death. If he had come down from the cross, we would still be in our sins without hope, headed for eternal judgment. He remained on the cross and he remained silent for us. And what I want you to understand here is this, that sometimes, many times, God remains silent when you call out to him with these ultimatum type prayers because he's doing something that reaches far beyond this one request, this one ask. And for us, for, and, and that's what Jesus was doing that day. Je- what Jesus was doing on the cross was far beyond what any of those people, his torturers, his friends, anyone, could even understand or grasp. He was doing something that was cosmic. Something that was going to change time as we know it and change people as we know it uh, at, at that moment. And so he was focused on that part of the mission. And sometimes we ask a request and we say, God, this is it. This is the it. And God says, you know what? No. I'm going to remain silent here because there's something bigger going on. I'm doing something bigger. And you know what? You can walk away from God at that point. Because really, at the cross, you, you, there are really three choices you make. You can either mock it and make fun of it or just kind of act as though it doesn't make any difference. That's what a lot of people did that day. You can either do that, you, the, you can embrace it, because there were a few that embraced it. 
You know, Jesus' mother, they, they didn't understand it. They were there, they didn't understand it, but they held on anyways. And, and, and that's true still today. But, but the point I want you to see is, if you've ever said that to God, God, I'll believe in you if. I just want to say, you're putting God in a box. And many times God's going to say no because he's doing something bigger. That you, you just don't understand because you don't have the cosmic view. You don't understand what he's doing in the universe and in your life. And it really comes down to trust. Can you trust the God of the universe or not? So he, was, he showed compassion to those who were torturing him. But secondly, he showed compassion to the thief next to him. He says, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Now the two criminals on either side, they began by both of them, as you read the gospel accounts, they were mocking him. But that one of them had a turn of heart, change of heart. And he basically dialogued with Jesus. Now, this is an interesting because all through the Gospels, you see Jesus, and that's one of the reasons why he's getting crucified at this point, is because he hangs around with the wrong kind of people. He hangs around with prostitutes. He hangs around with tax collectors. He hangs around with criminals, literally. He's hanging with a criminal, two of them. And, and so here he is with a criminal, and he's having a dialogue with him. He's, he's talking with him. And, and, and what is he saying? What's going on here? What did this criminal do? This criminal basically said, Jesus... Remember me when you die. And Jesus says, not only will I remember you, but you will be with me in paradise today. Now, as far as I know, this criminal never went to church. <laughs> Didn't have a lot of doctrine. <laughs> Probably needed a little bit more teaching of the Old Testament. Thou shalt not steal. You know, could have, could have helped him a lot. But the point is, he, didn't, he couldn't clean his life up. He couldn't follow a ritual. He could, couldn't be baptized. There, there was no baptism going on. There was no track record of obedience. He had nothing. The only thing he had was Jesus. He turned to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, I'm at the end of my rope. This is it. I'm done. You're my only hope. And he looked to Jesus, and Jesus says, that's faith. That's how it begins. And what the writer is trying to show us is that you could, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. You're never too far gone. If you look to Jesus, you'll find life. You're never too far gone. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You can come to Jesus and he can save you today. So there are two views, okay? We look up from below, from the cross, and now from above. And from above the, above the cross, there is constraint by the Father. Now, what did the Father see? Around 1574, there was a monk. Uh, his name was John of the Cross. And he had a vision that was given to him by God the Father. And it was, it was, his vision was, and the drawing he did was, what would, it, what would it have been like for the Father to look down, and it had never been done or drawn at that point. What would have been done, what would it have been like for the Father to look down from heaven and to see his son hanging on a cross? And he was led to create the following drawing, which is called From Above. So here's that drawing. 
And it, the crucifix had never been, the crucifixion had never been drawn from that perspective. You move, move to the 1900s, and in 1951, the artist Salvador Dali did, was inspired by this pencil sketch, this uh, pencil drawing, and he did a picture called Christ of the St. John, uh, which hangs in the museum in the Kelvin Grove Museum in Scotland. And here's the picture that, that he did. It's the most popular picture painting in the, the museum in Scotland. And again, it gives that cosmic view of the father looking down on the son as he was hanging there. And the point I want you to see is what was going on that day was something cosmic was happening in the universe on that dark day. The father withheld his wrath. He didn't send fire down from heaven on those who tormented and executed his son. And think about that. Put yourself in the place of the heavenly father. If it was your son and they were torturing and executing your son and you had the power and the ability to stop it, to destroy those who were destroying your son, would you do it? And would, would you struggle? I, 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 if it was me, we'd all be still in our sin. I would have destroyed them on a moment. I wouldn't have been able to with, stop myself. Uh, instead, though, the Father in heaven allowed his son to experience the wrath and separation of sin. He watched he watched for as long as he could. And Jesus cried out at one point, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I want to just close by answering or just giving maybe two reasons why I believe the Father turned away. I believe the first reason is because there was a point where Jesus took upon our, himself our sin. And God the Father cannot look on sin. And he had to turn away. He was required to turn away because God is completely holy. And so the father had to turn away. But I believe that there is a point too where the father had to turn away because he could watch it no more. Imagine watching your precious son or daughter being mocked, brutalized, and executed in the most brutal way that had ever been conceived, knowing they were completely innocent of any crime. Everyone said about Jesus he was completely innocent, even the criminal on the cross said, hey, we deserve to be here, but he did nothing wrong. But the father didn't step in. Why? Because he loved us too much. He was willing to watch his son suffer for us. He was willing to allow it to play out. He understood that when there is a transgression, Somebody has to pay the price. God can't just say, well, I'm going to let it go because somebody has to pay the price and pay with pain. And Jesus was willing to go through the humiliation, the pain, and the suffering, the cosmic separation and the despair of our sin because he loved us so much. Jesus remained silent. He stayed on the cross because he loves us. Because of his cross, we live. So when somebody says to you, I could never believe in a God who would murder his son, I hope that you will understand there was a lot more going on. And that is a terrible,
terrible explanation of what took place that day 2,000 years ago when the Father looked down and ultimately had to look away. When Jesus, instead of getting down off the cross, when he was taunted three times to do it, remained steadfast. And they both did it because they loved us too much. And they willingly allowed it to play out. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know whether you ever called upon the Lord. And look at the thief on the cross. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's as simple as this. as saying, I'm helpless and I'm hopeless. And Jesus, you're my only hope. I'm a sinner and you're paying my price. And I need somebody to do it because I can't. There's an offense that I can't pay and somebody has to pay it. And you chose to do it for me. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what that criminal did that day. So I want to ask you a question as we close out. Has there ever been a time in your life where you said, Jesus, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless. I'm, I'm a sinner, and I can't pay the price for my sin, but you did that on the cross. So now, as the criminal did, I now look to you and I ask Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me? Jesus, I give, as you gave your life to me, I give my life to you. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever called upon the Lord? It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. You don't have to have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. The thief didn't. You don't have to go to church every week. The thief didn't. You don't have to be baptized. The thief wasn't. It was a matter of faith, a moment of faith, where he said, Jesus, you're my only hope. And maybe you need to come to that point today. Maybe Jesus and God has brought you to this place today to hear. And maybe you need to say, Jesus, you're my only hope, and I trust you today. I want to pray right now, and maybe you would want to pray with me quietly in your own heart. Let's pray. And Father, if there's anyone here this, uh, this morning that uh, wants to pray, uh, they may want to pray something like this. Jesus, I realize that you paid the price that I couldn't pay, that you suffered, that you uh, provided the only way that uh, my sins could be forgiven. And now I identify with a thief on the cross next to you, I am absolutely helpless and hopeless. I've come to the end of my rope. I need a Savior, and you're my only hope. And Jesus, as you gave your life to me, I give my life to you, and I can acknowledge that I'm a sinner lost, and I need a Savior, and I ask you to come into my life to be my Savior. And Father, if there are people who have prayed a prayer similar to that, I pray that you would confirm that in their hearts, that they would tell other people that they've trusted Jesus today. For those of us, Father, who have received Jesus as our Savior, may we never come to grips with the awfulness and the awesomeness of the cross. Father, thank you that Jesus rose on the third day, and because of that, forgiveness is complete for all who call upon him. Not because we deserve it, not because we could ever earn it, but because it is a gift that was given to us when Jesus gave his life on the cross. We thank you for it and we praise you in Jesus' name.